With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thank you for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's April the 21st, 2023. The Orioles are now 11-7, four and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East. That comes after the consecutive shutouts of the last place Washington Nationals. The Orioles have not allowed a run since the first inning on Sunday against the Chicago White Sox. That's a pretty impressive strikeout streak. They are now on a full season pace for 99 wins, Okay, probably not going to win 99 wins, uh, have 99 wins over the full season. It'd be pretty cool if they did, though, right? Of course, the Nationals, well, they were kind of easy pickings. Uh, They are only slugging 331 as a team now that the Orioles are done with them. The Orioles batters, by the way, nearly 100 points better than those Nationals. The Orioles are slugging 428. And as still blows my mind that uh, Masson's Ben McDonald said on the broadcast while the Orioles are playing the Nationals, the team has only hit eight home runs. And, of course, since the Orioles shut them out both games, the Nationals did not add to that total over the little two-game sweep that the Orioles pulled off. So that's pretty good. Seven of the next ten games are going to come against the Detroit Tigers for the Orioles, and that's really important because last year's Orioles did not take care of business against the Tigers. One in five on the season, including losing two out of three in September, once the Orioles were good and should have been much better than those Tigers. And the thing about the Tigers is they're also bad so far this season. 
They have scored the fewest runs of any Major League Baseball team to date. They've only scored 57 runs so far. Now, one part of that is because the Tigers have only played 17 games, while many other teams have played 18 or even 19. But, you know, it's not that much of a difference. The Tigers are just really a bad hitting team. At this point in the season, no regular Tigers player is a league average batter or better, although a few of their reserves are. But they're just, they're not hitting. Nobody is hitting. The Miguel Cabrera retirement tour is not going well at all. He's only got a 544 OPS. That's a 206 batting average with a 250 on base percentage. Very bad. Former Oriole Jonathan Scope. Still love that guy. Uh, he's not endearing himself to many Tigers fans so far this season, though. He's only got 29 plate appearances. He's hitting 200 for the season. And he has no extra base hits, so he's slugging 200 as well. Really not what you want to see. Tigers' big money free agent from a couple of off-seasons ago, Javier Baez. He's not hitting either. He's got a 197 average, 254 on base percentage. It's rough. Up and down lineups, it's rough. They've got nothing good going on. Just one more former number one overall draft pick, Spencer Torkelson. He's got a 250, or 242 average, excuse me, 257 on base percentage. It's, uh, it's, it's rough. Rough times for the Tigers lineup. So it's really, really crucial that the Orioles are able to beat this team. Oh, and their pitchers aren't very good either. They've got a 5.19 team ERA. The expected record using the Pythagorean one-loss uh, record I've talked about on this podcast before is a 5-12. and 12. The Tigers themselves are 7-10, and 10, so theoretically there are two games luckier than they should be. And, you know, if the Orioles are a team that is going to be able to go places this season, they're really going to need to fatten themselves up over the next week. Probably go something like, well, week, week plus, probably go... Hopefully, at like five and two against the Tigers, I, I think that would be the best case scenario. We'll see if they're going to be able to be up to that task. Of course, the big big part of that is going to be can the starting pitchers make it a full solid turn through the rotation after Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish were able to start off um, a couple of blanks against the Washington Nationals. So Tyler Wells, Kyle Gibson, Grayson Rodriguez all need to really look good against this Detroit Tigers team. I I hope they are going to be able to be up to do it, to doing that. The Orioles batters, well, they're going to need to pick up their part of the slack as well. They're going to be facing the two Tiger starters who've been announced as of my recording this podcast, have not done very well so far this season. On Friday, they're set to be facing Michael Lorenzen. He's only made one start so far this season. Gave up six runs in four innings. Not good. Saturday's game is expected to be started by uh, Joey Wentz, who has a 6.39 ERA and three starts he's made so far this season. So that's also not good. And hopefully the Orioles can do well in those two games because although a starter has not been announced for Sunday's game yet, uh, if we count out the regular number of days of rest, it could actually end up being former Orioles prospect Eduardo Rodriguez, who has been good through four starts so far this season. So it could end up being a Grayson Rodriguez versus Eduardo Rodriguez starting pitching matchup in that Sunday afternoon game. I, of course, hope that the Orioles can win at least two out of three. It's it's really crucial. This this April, April is when they're probably going to have their easiest opponents that they're playing so far this season. And so it's crucial for the Orioles to have a good April. Of course, last year they were not good in April. 7-14 and 14 
in April. Really, Operation Don't Suck in April is one of the key pillars of having a contending Orioles team this year. If they had only been, you know, 500 last April, they would have been in the playoffs. So that's all it takes. And now this this April, they've got kind of a soft schedule, so they, they really need to do better than 500. Like I said, I'm, I'm hoping for at least 5-2 and two against these Tigers games, but we cannot count our chickens before the eggs hatch. The Orioles have to actually play well and win the games. The one thing I'm really going to be keeping an eye on is whether Jorge Mateo's injury is anything that turns into medium term. It's sad for my wife because Jorge is her favorite player right now. Of course, Mateo left the uh, the third uh, the Wednesday game, excuse me, against the Nationals with what the team said was right hip discomfort, day-to-day status, and it's beneficial that the Orioles had the off day on Thursday, so hopefully that will get him right and ready to play starting today. Of course, by OPS, Jorge Mateo is the team's best hitter to date, a 1.056 OPS. He's also got eight steals. Really going to be crucial for him to keep uh, doing that kind of performance. I hope that he is not going to suffer any lingering problems because of whatever caused the right hip discomfort. I guess if you can uh, offer one bit of silver lining, it's that if Mateo does need to have an injured list stint, the Orioles should be an okay place if they were going to be bold and decide to call up prospect Joey Ortiz, who is hitting very well for the Norfolk Tides so far this season. I would not like to see Ortiz, because of Mateo getting injured, and hopefully he will not be needed for that reason. But, you know, it's um, it's good when you've got some prospect depth ready to go. So we'll, we'll see what ends up needing to happen with Mateo. It's one thing I'm going to keep my eye on. So let's dip right into the mailbag. Uh, if you want to have an email read on this episode, you can email it read on this podcast. Excuse me. You can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. I've actually got two emails today. One comes from listener Joel, who wanted to ask, how sticky is the Orioles' early plate discipline likely to be? He wants to know, do I think it's bad pitchers, or is it a skill difference on the part of the Orioles' hitters? So let's look at the numbers. Through 18 games, Orioles batters are walking in 12.4% of all plate appearances. That is the third best rate in Major League Baseball. So that's pretty good. To give a little comparison, last year for the full season, the whole year, the number one team in walk rate was the New York Yankees. Boo, 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 boo. Okay. They had a 10% walk rate last season. So right now, there's 11 teams who have a better walk rate than the team that finished all of last season with the number one walk rate. And if you want to, if it's like a partial small season sample size thing, last April, April alone, there were six teams with a walk rate above 10%. So it looks like there's something going on where teams are more likely to walk across all of baseball for whatever reason. I would say there's maybe several possible league-wide factors. I think um, the pitch clock is one possible factor. If pitchers, you know, have to be more likely to rush than they were before, that could maybe cause them to have some command problems. I think that MLB's supposedly renewed initiative on sticky stuff, which we have seen in a couple of non-Orioles games lately, uh, affecting Yankees' Domingo Herman, as well as recently Mets' ace Max Scherzer, uh, ran afoul a bit of some of that. So if there's less sticky stuff, maybe that means that pitchers are having a bit less command of their balls. It could be that Major League Baseball has changed the baseballs again. Um, 
I believe I've seen that there's some early preliminary stuff about the baseball possibly having a reduced drag quotient again, which could uh, is, is probably fueling a bit more offense and could also cause problems for pitchers with the command. And finally, maybe just cold weather. It's harder to have good command for pitchers when it's cold in April. So keeping all of that in mind, another thing that's important to keep in mind for the Orioles batters specifically in sabermetrics, there is a concept that's known as the stabilization rate, and that is basically at what sample size does something shift from a small sample size to something that's maybe meaningful. And rate stats stabilize the quickest for hitters. So for instance, a, a, a batter's strikeout rate stabilizes at 60 plate appearances. The walk rate is a bit more than that, actually double, at one, 120 plate appearances. So. There's only three Orioles so far who are above 80 plate appearances. So even those guys basically need 50% more plate appearances than they've already had to start having walk rates that are maybe meaningful sample sizes. So it's definitely early, and we'll see if some of these guys come down once they get more towards the, uh, the 120 plate appearances and beyond. But so just to look at some of the specific numbers, the Orioles do have a number of batters who are really walking a lot. Cedric Mullins, the sometimes leadoff man this year, he's got a 16.3% walk rate so far. His career walk rate is 8%. So Mullins, you're talking more than double of his career walk rate. I just think it's very unlikely, even if Mullins has improved, he's probably not improved to double his career walk rate. Adam Frazier, 13.1% walk rate so far this season a career rate of 7.6%. So not quite double, but again, even if Adam Fraser is suddenly in his 30s walking way more, which I think itself is probably not very likely, he's probably not uh, going to be that much more when things stabilize. Adley Rutschman, he's got a 20% walk rate. Now Rutschman is one of the Orioles who's been better about walking. Last year he had a 13.8% walk rate, but still it, that's an increase of 6.2% um, on an additive basis and on a percentage basis, really that's more like almost half, again, of uh, what he did last year. Gunnar Henderson is another guy. He, well, he's got his whole issue with actually hitting the ball, but he's got a 22.4% walk rate. And last year between AAA and Major League Baseball, Henderson had a 12.5% walk rate. So, I mean, Henderson and Rutschman, those are guys who are probably going to have elite or near elite walk rates, double digit walk rates, most likely. But they're way, way above even that. And so my, my feeling is, even if the team is improved, they're probably heading for less than their current walk rate. I think those players in particular are due to slide back a little bit. I don't think there's anybody below them who suddenly needs to walk more. Although, in fact, Ryan Mountcastle is only walking like 3.7% of the time this season, and his career rate is around 7%. So maybe somebody like Mountcastle will walk a little bit more uh, I don't think that's going to be enough to offset the crazy high walk rates of guys like Rutschman and Henderson. So we're, we will see where things stabilize, but there's, there's a lot of plate appearances to go, probably more like two weeks of games before we can really start making uh, meaningful statements about that. I, I think we're going to find when we get to two weeks from now, the walk rates have decreased. So Joel... That's what I think. Maybe a little bit skill, maybe a little bit bad pitchers, but maybe also good luck. I hope it sticks. It'll be great if they can walk a lot. I just don't think that it's very likely. I will be right back with another email after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, and one more from the mailbag. This one came in from listener Steve. So, Steve, thank you for writing in. Steve was commenting on my remarks on the last, the last episode about the Orioles' lack of giving out contract extensions to their young players. He wants to know, do I think it's related to the lease drama with Camden Yards, uh, as well as who do I think is most likely to reach an extension with the Orioles? And he specifically singled out prospect Joey Ortiz and wondered if I thought that Ortiz might be a good um, candidate for getting a contract extension eventually. So my thoughts, I, I don't really think it's related to the lease. Uh, I will just say, I, I, whatever's going on with the lease, I don't think it's uh, connected to that. I, it, it seems like everyone involved with the team is just treating it as a formality that they're going to get it done this year. Of course, John Angelos has proven less than trustworthy with some of his other public statements, but he's not been squirrely about the lease. Um, so I don't know what the delay is, but... Uh, the last thing he said about it was it will hopefully get done before the All-Star break. So I hope it's done before the All-Star break and we can all stop ever thinking about it, or at least for like 20 to 30 years. As far as who's most likely to reach a contract extension, I feel like the players who are kind of the best positioned to get those sorts of deals generally through the league are guys with like one to two years of service time position players who are on the young side so they can end up getting like eight to nine years and it's worth it for both the team and for them to invest in that kind of contract. Or maybe guys who are more in the three to four year service time range getting contract extensions in the range of five to six years. So I actually feel like maybe the best fit on the roster for one of these extensions right now would be somebody like Cedric Mullins. Of course, he's had a 9.6 wins above replacement uh, baseball reference war over the last two seasons. 
there is maybe some question how much he's going to be able to duplicate that. I don't. He was near six WAR in the 2021 season, a bit less last year. So, what one of the questions to settle what Mullins might get is what is his kind of true talent level over the next few years, and it may be that he and the Orioles would disagree on that. But I feel like maybe a Mullins five-year contract, buying out his final two arbitration seasons, as well as three free agent years. I think that could be fair for both the player and the team. Mullins was a later round pick, did not get a big signing bonus, so he might have some incentive to lock up some guaranteed money, and the team would be able to have a bit of cost certainty uh, going forward. They would know that they are not going to have a ballooning arbitration payment for Mullins because they know already what he's going to get over the next two years. And hopefully, if he was a good player, they would know that's one spot on the roster they don't need to fill with either a prospect or a free agent. I guess maybe Jorge Mateo could be a candidate if the Orioles think that the breakout he's got so far this season is real. Maybe they could pounce on him before he piles on uh, too many good games and suddenly the price tag goes up and he wants to think about that uh, differently. Mateo is also a guy who's got two more years of arbitration remaining this season, and he is uh, 28 years old as well. So I think that, excuse me, Mateo turns 28 later this year. Uh, So I think that that makes um, Mateo maybe a good candidate if you're feeling optimistic about him. I feel like if not for his Tommy John surgery, John Means would have also been a good candidate. But... You know, the the Orioles' prospects, unfortunately, just aren't really going to fit in this mold. And Steve mentioned this in his email. I've talked about it a bit on previous episodes. I think maybe Adley Rutschman's age makes him a little old to get, like, a nine-year deal. I think that Gunnar Henderson being a Scott Boris client means he's probably not going to have a deal like this either. And coming up from the farm, Jackson Holiday is a Scott Boris client, as well as having generational wealth from his MLB player dad. Okay. So, Ortiz... Joey Ortiz, as Steve asked about, I think he's also probably not likely to be an extension candidate because he's already old for a prospect. He's going to be turning 25 in July. So if we assume a 2023 debut, which I certainly hope we're going to get, he would have uh, age 31 as the first year of whatever free agent contract Ortiz would get if the Orioles got their full control of him. So I I don't think that makes him a very good contract extension candidate. so in a sense, that makes it okay that the Orioles haven't signed anybody yet because we we got to get some of the prospects up to the big leagues and see after a year or two who's kind of sticking to maybe give one of them an eight-year contract or whatever. Um, I don't know. Still, I, it would be nice if the Orioles signed somebody, even if Ortiz isn't the right guy. I don't know. Moving on, one last thing before I wrap up this episode. Let's talk about the prospect of the day. And again, these are coming from the composite top 20 list that I have on CamdenChat.com if you want to look ahead and spoil yourself. Talking about today, the number six prospect, he's Jordan Westberg. On some of the lists I used, he's as high as number four. He's as low as number nine. Some of the lists have him as a top 100 prospect in all of baseball, although they do not all agree on that. The Orioles, of course, got Westberg in the 2020 draft. They picked him at number 30 overall. He was a slot value signing, so nothing weird about that. Although, of course, the whole 2020 draft was weird because players did not get a full uh, spring or even early summer to impress teams and show themselves because of COVID shutting basically everything down. So heading into that draft, Westberg on the Fangraphs um, 
draft prospect list that year. He was number 32, so the Orioles got number 32 guy at number 30. That seems pretty okay. Their short capsule on him there was, quote, big shortstop who will stick in the infield. Third base makes the most sense, most sense long term. He's athletic, has performed well, and has power, but could stand to make more contact, end quote. Not a bad guy to get as a college performer at the kind of um, late first round pick where the Orioles got him. I think that's kind of comparable to a couple years before that. The Orioles drafted Caden Grenier, who could not hit at all. And uh, hopefully Westberg turns out as a much better prospect than Grenier, who, of course, was never a top 100 guy at all. Now, there is a bit of a split on what the writers think about Westberg. One of the bigger fans of him was the Athletics' Keith Law, who was the one who had him at number four in the Orioles system. And at number 73 on his top 100 prospect list this year. And Law said of Westberg that he thinks that Westberg does not have a clear plus tool, which again, on baseball's 20 to 80 scale, that's a 50, 50 is average. So if you're talking plus, you're talking better than that. But he thinks Westberg makes plenty of hard contact and thinks he plays above average defense at second or third base. Law says that Westberg probably would have his most valuable uh, potential as a guy who hits about 280, 20 to 25 home runs, posts good on-base percentages, and plays above-average defense at third base. Now, other outlets are not as positive on Westberg, although Fangraphs likes him around draft time. They're now less positive about his defense. They think he's kind of what they called fringy on the infield, so he might even have to go out to left field, according to Fangraphs, and they think he might have some strikeout concerns that would diminish his offensive potential as well. So, much like I said with Colton Kowser in the last episode, hopefully Fangraphs is not quite uh, accurate about that. But for the 2023 season, Westberg has been playing a mix of second base, third base, and shortstop at Norfolk with one game of left field mixed in. So far, he has batted a 265 average with a 308 on base percentage, 469 slugging. Would like it if he was walking a little bit more at this point, or maybe had a little bit higher of a batting average. Kind of in line with what he did last year in 91 games at AAA Norfolk when he batted 274 at a 361 on base percentage and a 508 slugging, hitting 18 home runs in those 91 games with Norfolk. So, I mean, that kind of performance from Westberg is basically why I was annoyed that the Orioles signed Adam Fraser in the first place because it seemed like they should maybe be able to roll with Westberg at second base out of spring training. Uh, the team ultimately did not decide to do that. I guess we'll see how that decision works out for them. As far as Westberg's future role, I think he's going to be trade bait possibly as soon as July. There's just too many dang infield prospects in the Orioles system. They they don't seem like they're ready to move on from the guys who currently have big league roles. So that means that somebody like Westberg, who would have to be added to the 40-man roster after this season, might be a candidate to be traded for a starting pitcher. And, you know, one unfun thing about getting focused on prospects over the last few years is the reality is, even among the hype guys, which as we start getting to Westberg, we start getting guys with less hype. And as we go lower on the list, or farther down the list from here, there's going to be even less hype. Some of them just aren't going to be good enough. Others will be good for other teams, and others might get traded and then not be good enough for other teams. I guess that's the ideal sweet spot for the Orioles with the prospects they end up trading. Um, but whoever's here, I'm going to be rooting for them as long as they're in the system. And whoever gets traded, I hope the Orioles can get some good players back in return.
Okay, so that's all for this episode. So if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on your favorite platform and leaving a rating or review. New episodes come every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So I will see you again on Monday. In between episodes, you can tweet me at Camden Chat. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.